Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. you pray with me? Lord, open our hearts and minds to understand the word you've revealed to us in Scripture and that you have for us today. Transform us, send us out here, from here, uh, to glorify you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to close your eyes. Remember, I can see if you're doing this, to so close your eyes. Uh, I want you to come up with the best answer to this question that you could defend uh, to anyone. What is your purpose in life? If you have an answer, just kind of open your eyes. It's a pretty weighty question, isn't it? What is your purpose in life? Would you concede that uh, the answer to this question shapes who you are and what you do? Good. I hope you'll concede that. Uh, if not, I've got to sit down now and come up with another sermon. Um, who, 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 what you aspire to do in life, what you aspire, what you see as your purpose, absolutely shapes uh, kind of who you are and, and what you do. If you see your purpose in life to leave the world a better place, it will shape who you are and what you do. Uh, if you see your purpose in life to build a, a business that endures beyond you, it will shape who you are and what you do. If your goal is to be the best parent and raise children who are incredible people, it shapes who you are and what you do. If you see your purpose as evangelizing the ends of the earth and reaching everybody for God, it shapes who you are and what you do. Um, a pretty important thing to think about. Um, the Westminster Catechism asks it a little different way. What is the chief end of humanity? And their answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him in everything. I've been struck this week about how profoundly different life looks if that is our purpose, if that is our end. Something along those lines is how we understand uh, our uh, whole direction in life. To glorify God in everything we do and to enjoy Him. Um, glorifying God is different than doing good things. Uh, glorifying God is different than evangelism. It's different uh, than really any other answer because it speaks to the whole purpose, which is God. We can do good things out of our own uh, sense of, uh, of self-need, out of sense of obligation, out of sense of self-empowerment. But uh, if they're not born out of glorifying God, they're about us. Um, I grew up in a church that did a meal at the homeless shelter every Friday. Uh, we'd get together, we'd go serve spaghetti and salad and garlic bread and these little El Cheapo iced oatmeal cookies. They're like hundred of them for a dollar or something. They're delicious. They're kind of stale tasting, but they're delicious. Um, 
And we would go do this and feel better about ourselves because we had kind of done what a good Christian would do, right? We'd gone and served somebody. Um, in reflection, doing that meal was all about us feeling good. At least for me, I can't speak for everybody, but that's, that's why I did it. It's what a good Christian would do. It, it is so vastly different than how I've come to be involved in this ministry called Room at the Inn. Uh, it's kind of something we share across all three campuses of First Church. We join together with a group of 14 men without homes on Monday evening. We uh, dine with them. Uh, a few of us spend the night with them. We get up and have breakfast together. And what I realized is uh, when I was in fifth grade serving at the homeless shelter, it was about checking off a box about doing something good for me. Um, going in with the idea that uh, I'm seeing the face of God in these men that they're seeing the face of God in me and that we are, uh, we are delighting as God's uh, great part of creation uh, is a, it's a whole different way of understanding that same doing good. Doing good for ourselves uh, is problematic. Worshiping for ourselves is problematic. Uh, coming to church because uh, it makes us feel good or because we're scared our mom will judge us or because uh, then it makes us look uh, better in this person's eye, is different than coming to worship to glorify God. When we make our primary purpose about us, it shapes who we are and what we do. And that has been Israel's problem through the whole story. They continually turn from seeing God's purposes to seeing their purposes God made covenant with Abraham and said, I will make you a nation, I will give you a land, and I will bless you so that you can bless others. Story goes along, and all his promises come true. He gives them this land. He makes them a nation that's fairly geopolitically stable. He blesses them in abundance. And their response is to turn inward to themselves to offer up token worship to look like they're good Israelites, but then to trample on those around them to uh, kind of uh, hang around with other gods too on the side if it's helpful for business. Uh, and it kind of just keeps getting worse and worse from, from the time of David where things are about as good as they get till now. Things just spiral more and more beyond God's purposes. Humanity becomes completely inwardly focused. And at this point, God's like... I've been asking you to come back to me this whole time, to come back and not just offer this worship, but to offer yourselves. In Isaiah, he goes on to say that your sacrifices have become a burden to me. God doesn't want our sacrifices when they're all about what they do for us. He desires our hearts to be oriented towards him. And at this point in today's text, they are oriented everywhere else. They offer up token worship but God says, you're like fresh fruit. Judgment is at hand. And then he lays out these charges against them. They uh, weight the scales in the marketplace to cheat people out of their goods. They uh, misvalue money so that they can make more. They uh, sell people for the cost of sandals. Let me charge you interest for this necessity of life. Their cry is, may the Sabbath be over so we can make more money. That tells you about their heart orientation. And so God promises judgment, right? Every good prophetic text ends with some promises. If you don't listen, here's what's going to happen. 
Well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make the earth quake. The rivers rise up. You will mourn. You will put on sackcloth. You will shave your head. And if that isn't enough, you will seek my voice and no longer find it. The word of the Lord is going to disappear from your presence. I almost can't begin to wrap my mind around that last part of the judgment. We see war on the news all the time, right? We're, we're desensitized to war. We're desensitized really to earthquakes. They happen and we, they blip on the news for 30 minutes and then uh, we're getting used to floods. But the absence of God's voice is the, the pinnacle of judgment in this text. The word of the Lord, the Devar Adonai, 90, 922 times in the Old Testament it's used. Uh, the psalmist says that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Isaiah declares that the heavens and the earth were formed out of the word of the Lord. It's probably the closest analog we have to saying the spirit of God is with you. If you have the word of the Lord, things are going to be all right. But the problem is they had stopped listening to the word of the Lord long ago. For generations, they had sought their own gain. They had sought their own pleasures, and they had ignored the word of the Lord. Amos kept bringing it. He kept saying, thus says Yahweh, and they don't listen a bit. They keep on trampling on people and offering up these useless sacrifices. It's the word of God for the people of God, right? I mean, this is not a pleasant text. But it's a prophetic text, right? It's... It's for them. We've got Jesus in the Spirit, so things are good. Um, I've really been wrestling this week with, can we lose the word of the Lord? Can we be so self-oriented, so turned into our aims that we lose the word, the word of the Lord, that we begin to not sense the presence of the Spirit, that we lose our salvation, to use common term? The author of Hebrews seems to suggest that it's entirely possible uh, our catechism is, uh, is very direct. Is it possible for a justified or sanctified Christian to fall from grace and perish? And the answer is, it is. Luckily, there's another question. How shall we guard against the danger of falling from grace? And it gives us three things. Being alert, praying, and living in faith. These are the three opposites of what Israel is doing in this text. They have lost track of anything other themselves. They aren't focused on the things of Yahweh. They're focused on themselves. They're, they're uh, myopic in this little view. I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but I'm training for a triathlon. Um, I, I felt pretty confident on the bike. I'm getting my run walking going, and I've started swimming laps at the Y. Nothing is as humbling as swimming laps for the first time in 30 years. Um, like controlled drowning. It's very uh, shocking. Um, but in the pool, it's nice because they got lines on the bottom. So as long as your goggles aren't full with water, you can kind of swim a straight line. It doesn't matter if you do bilateral or trilateral breathing. I've Googled this, by the way. Uh, because you're going to stay on your line because you can see it. But most triathlons happen where you go swim in the open water. You go out to a lake or an ocean or a river. And what you have to do is you have to actually lift your head out as you're breathing and look to the horizon to look to something beyond you. Because if you don't, you're going to swim at an angle one way or another, and your 400 yards is turning into like 900, and nobody has time for that during a race. This is being alert. It's raising our eyes up beyond what we're doing in this moment. It's looking to God, 
looking to his purposes and his aims, to saying is, is my life oriented in this direction or am I vastly going off course? Be alert. Pray. I taught a youth Sunday school class back at Jarvis uh, when I was doing youth ministry on uh, prayer, and I thought I would be uh, smart and read all the books I could find on prayer. And it was like, the 27 types of prayer and Richard Foster's 21 different ways of praying. And I thought about teaching these kids all these different ways and I was shocked because I didn't know any of them. Uh, But then I found a book that said, are you too busy to pray? And it struck me that that's probably all of our starting points. Have we oriented our life that we're actually hearing the word of the Lord? Israel isn't. They're not listening it when the prophet comes on the scene and bangs them over the head with it. They're not listening People in Jesus' day weren't listening. Do we orient our lives around the time of hearing from God? If I've met with you one-on-one, I've sent you a little booklet, The Field Guide for Daily Prayer, which invites you to morning and evening prayer. It's 15 minutes where you dive in beyond yourself and listen to the word of the Lord, where you think about other people, where you uh, seek to understand God's direction, where you seek to understand his aims, can't help but be more alert and more rightly focused on his ends if we're actually speaking to God and listening to his word. And then live by faith. That's pretty hard in our society to live by faith. We're pretty good at living by our own means and by our own bootstraps and by our own doing, by believing that if we set our minds to a goal and do it, we are going to be great. But faith says, God... You are in control. We believe that you are holding the universe together, that you have something bigger. Now, we're partners in this divine dance with God. He invites us to do plenty of things, but it's these things done out of oriented towards him, out of glorifying him and delighting in him, enjoying him in everything we do. And we lose the word of the Lord. Can we be so self-focused and so inwardly turned that we don't glorify God in what we do? Absolutely. Now, my celebration is that has not been my sense of this church, that by and large this church is tuned to hearing God's word. Does it mean we're perfect at it? No. Does it mean that we shouldn't be more alert, that we shouldn't pray, uh, that we shouldn't live in faith? No. It's an invitation to continue that and to build on those things. It's an invitation to consider even the good we do and what is our motivation. Do we do these good things because that's what a good Christian does or do we do them to glorify God? There are people in this room who could change our justice system and are active in it, but are we doing it to glorify God or because it leaves a legacy or because it's the good thing to do? There are people in our church who do foster care and adoption. What better way to glorify God to say, come to us? Good things done for ourselves become selfish. Good things done to glorify God are fruit. We have a youth program full of incredible students. What better way to glorify God? I, I strongly believe there's somebody in this room today who God is saying, come bear witness to my goodness in our youth program. Come, come alongside Elizabeth and show my face to our students, not out of obligation because that's something that you have to do out of church, but this is a way 
to show my face to our students. I think I know there's somebody in this room who God is saying, you can glorify me in that kid's worship room. At the Embrace Food Pantry. Not because it's something for you to do, to feel burdened. Instead, it's something to set free the glory of God and to demonstrate his goodness to the world, to make it so we all hear his voice just a little better. We're all too busy to do good things for ourselves, right? Just another thing to add to our list. That's why uh, eventually we get tired if we're just doing it to do it. But if we understand our chief aim to be glorifying God and enjoying him forever, it gets to be a lot of fun. What is our purpose in life? I believe the answer to this question shapes who you are and what you do. Amen? Would you pray with me? Loving God, we long to hear your voice. Whether in a sweet, still, quiet voice on the side of a mountain or in a big prophetic boom, we want to hear your word. We want to feel your presence. For where we have turned away from you and sought our own aims, Lord, forgive us. For where we have set ourselves up as the end, forgive us. Lord, show us how to be alert, to open our eyes to you. Give us new prayer patterns that help us hear from you day after day. Most importantly, move us from trusting in ourselves to living in faith in you. Lord, show us what it means to glorify you and to enjoy you, to bear good fruit, not because we have to, but because it gives glory to you, because we enjoy life with you. Lord, I thank you for this church full of men and women through whom I see your face as they seek to glorify you. May we bear witness in this area, in this town, and across the world that you are good, that you, God, have even given us a bit of your glory. We pray this with the confidence of children who have seen you move and look forward to continuing to see it. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.